talking about the truth that the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything. It changes us. It changes our destiny. It changes how we live. It changes the church. It changes God's people. But this week is curious because the story we're going to start with this week, when you begin the story, it looks like nothing has changed at all. It looks like the resurrection has changed nothing. It's from John chapter 21. It's the third time Jesus has appeared to his disciples after the resurrection. If you've got a Bible with you, you can follow along. We're going to read most of the chapter. You can check it out on your phone or a tablet or something like that. It'll also be up on the screen. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going fishing, Simon Peter told them. And they said, well, we'll go with you. So they went out, got into a boat, and all night they caught nothing. Nothing's changed. This is what they were doing when we first met these fellas, before they'd even heard of Jesus. They were mediocre fishermen on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Only God can work a metaphor out of the very history of our lives, they fish all night and catch nothing. That's what happens to us when we step out of God's will and wander around, isn't it? We catch nothing. Again, though, just as he did that first time, Jesus interrupts their fishing. Verse 4, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Now, just to be clear, this is not how fishing works, right? Like if you fish all night on the left side and don't catch anything, it's not because they were all hiding on the right side, okay? That's not how you fish. Okay, anyways, but when it's Jesus, it does work. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. And then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he'd taken it off, and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. And this was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now, Jesus has a lot that he wants to accomplish with this breakfast. I suppose one of the things, he just wants to feed some hungry fishermen. There's no harm in that. He also wants to continue to prove the reality of his resurrection. Ghosts don't eat breakfast. But resurrected bodies do. He also wants to remind them. You see, this is the same lake and the same beach. 
likely even the same boat where Jesus had found them fishing once before and called them away from their nets into a new sense of ministry and purpose. And now, without Jesus around, they've just gone right back to their old life. And Jesus wants to remind them that he called them out of that life. But there's one other thing he needs to accomplish with this breakfast. Jesus And Peter, they need to talk. You see, Peter, I don't know how to put this delicately, uh, he's had a bad month. I mean, he just really has. It started in the upper room around the table. Jesus went to wash his disciples' feet, and Peter said he was too good to have his feet washed by Jesus. And then in the garden, he was too lazy to stay awake and pray with Jesus. And then when the soldiers came, he was too violent to trust Jesus. He betrayed Jesus' values and Jesus' purpose as he lashed out with his sword. Jesus had to call him down, call him out in front of everybody, heal the Roman soldier who was struck. And then Peter slunk behind the arresting armies in the darkness and stood in the courtyard across the way from where Jesus was being tried and beaten and mocked and spit upon. And as Peter watched this scene unfold, he denied ever having even known the man. And then when the women came to say that Jesus was alive, Peter led the disciples in their doubt. Peter had a bad month. I mean, it was better now. Of course, Jesus was alive again. The disciples who had once scattered were now being regathered. But you have to know that Peter wasn't sure if he was one of them anymore. Peter wasn't sure where he fit into the whole plan. He'd had a job. He'd had a mission. He'd had a role. So Peter and Jesus... They needed to talk. And as breakfast winded down, that's exactly what Jesus did. Verse 15, when they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, take care of my sheep. And then for a third time, he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time and Peter knew exactly why he was being asked three times. He knew exactly why Jesus wouldn't just accept yes for an answer and so he was broken that he would get asked three times, do you love me? And I love his answer. He says, Lord, you know all things. As if to say, my words here don't matter, Jesus, because I've proven that I'll lie about you. 
And my actions don't matter here, Jesus, because I've proven that I'll betray you. And my faithfulness doesn't matter here, Jesus, because I've proven that I will abandon you and deny you and give up on you and disobey you. All I've got here is your omniscient knowledge of what's really going on in my heart. Lord, I can't convince you. I can't prove it to you. I can't promise to you. But you do know everything, which means you know that it's been a bad month. But I do love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify him. And then he said to him, the words I expect Peter was desperate to hear one more time. He said to him, follow me. And then Peter knew. He, he'd begun the conversation unsure, defined by his denial, fearful of Christ's rejection. But when he heard those words, he knew that he was restored because those were the very same words by the very same lake on the very same beach where Jesus had once said, I want you. You're one of mine. I've got a new job for you. I've got a new, a new place for you and a new role for you. And in that moment, there, as the scraps of breakfast were being cleaned up and the fire burned out, Peter was restored. And I want you to notice that Peter is restored in two really important ways. First of all, Peter is restored. And secondly, his mission is restored. Uh, there is the restoration of Peter's relationship with Jesus. And there is the restoration of his work in Jesus' name. And that is what God wants to do in your life. That dual work of restoration is what God wants to do for you. You see, we are those who have denied Jesus. We are the ones who have disobeyed God's teaching with our sin who have rejected God's mission because of our laziness, who have lost our tempers with our kids and shared gossip with friends, ignored sexual boundaries, wasted our lives in addictions, wandered away from our faith, abandoned our commitment with Christ. We are the ones who have denied Jesus. Some of us have had a bad month. And here's the thing I want you to learn. When you recognize that you have denied Jesus, that you have betrayed Jesus, that you have fallen short of the call of Christ on your life, when you recognize that, there is an opportunity for Satan to achieve a great victory in your life. Now maybe you're thinking, surely it was my denial of Jesus. It was my betrayal. It was the sin of my past. Surely that was Satan's great victory. No, that is a relatively minor victory. We, we who are God's children, we sin all the time. Every time we sin, that is not a big victory for Satan. It's a small victory to be sure, but it's not a big victory. 
The big victory is if we were to recognizing our past sin, let that lead us to decide we can't follow today. If we somehow believed that Christ is not capable of restoring us and forgiving us and redeeming us from past failure, if we thought that Christ somehow couldn't restore our place in God's family and also our mission for God's kingdom, now that would be a tremendous victory for the one who seeks to destroy us. If we have somehow let the reality that we have once in the past or perhaps many times in the past denied Jesus in our life, if we were to let that past denial of yesterday become today's refusal to be restored. Because Jesus is here to restore you. If you, like Peter, have denied Jesus in some way in your life, Jesus is here with breakfast saying, would you sit down so we can talk? And the restoration Jesus wants to offer to your life is the same dual restoration that he offered to Peter. It's the only kind of restoration Jesus offers. He wants to restore you and restore your purpose. He wants to restore your identity and restore your mission. He wants to restore your status as a child of God and your service as a servant in God's kingdom. And Jesus is never content with somehow restoring one or the other. This dual restoration that Jesus offers, I've noticed we are often tempted to somehow ignore half of the restorative work Christ wants to do in our life. And we must decide to resist that temptation. I see this all the time in in pastoral work where somehow we we reduce the call of Christ on our life to joining a church or I'm a member of a church or I, I became a Christian as if Jesus died on a cross and rose from the dead and descended into the depths of hell itself also we could join a religious club like that was his big plan for your life that you would somehow join a club but notice The end of this conversation that Jesus has with Peter isn't, all right, you're back in. That's not how he ends the conversation. He ends the conversation the same way it began all those years ago. Come, follow me. And all along, at every step of the conversation, Peter and Jesus first addresses their relationship. Do you love me? And then he addresses the mission. Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. And he ends with follow me. I'm quite convinced, church, that for the sake of the gospel, we must do a better job reconnecting these dual restorations. You cannot have a full relationship with Jesus without a mission from Jesus. You you just can't. Everyone who has been restored into relationship with Jesus has been sent on a mission in his name. Now, they're not all the same. It's all different, but you you can't do. And when Jesus wants to restore you today, restore your status as a beloved child of God and restore your service as a member of God's family. We get this confused a lot. Uh, So to help us understand this, uh, we're going to play a quick little game. 
that is going to help make sense of what it is uh, that Jesus wants to do. Um, for this game, uh, I'm going to need a volunteer. And to my friends up in the booth, I'm going to use a different mic for this game this time because I forgot to bring the mic with me. So figure it out. This is Rebecca's. Um, so uh, I'm going to need a volunteer for this game. Anybody want to volunteer to help me with the game? Somebody brave who likes to be on stage, likes to be, likes to be, maybe come on. Maybe. Oh, Kay Greer is volunteering. All right, thank you, Kay. You just saved me. Come on. Everybody give Kay a big round of applause. She comes up here. Uh, wonderful. Um, and this game is called, this game is called, Who is the Real Runner? All right, so uh, I love that you picked, you, you chose to play this game with me. This is awesome. It's going to be super easy, and I'm going to win fast, but don't take it personally. Okay, so this game is just called Who is the Real Runner? It's real simple. We'll each present our evidence that we are the real runner, and it'll be pretty obvious it's me, and then you'll all vote for me, and I'll be declared the winner of the game. Okay, so that's the way the game works. So um, I'll go first so that you have time to make up something of how what might, what, what you might justify your argument. Okay, great. So, who is the real runner? For me, pretty, pretty easy. Uh, evidence number one, I'm wearing a, a running jersey. And like who, I mean, who, more normal people don't wear running jerseys to church. Only real runners do that. So, that's pretty clear. Also, um, and again, if you want to give up after this next one, you can, no shame. I did look up on Wikipedia. 1,400 men have run a four-minute mile and, and no women have done that. No women. And you're a man. And I'm a man. So you're and, and you're a woman. Yeah. So probably I'm a runner. Also, probably evidence number three, really, I mean, again, this is sort of ends it. In case you didn't notice, I'm wearing a jersey. So that is pretty clear. Um, so again, like I said, if you want to give up now, that'll actually save us time. We can all get to lunch faster. But if you think, if you think you've got any evidence that might convince them, uh, I mean, you're obviously not wearing a jersey, so you're, you're, starting from, no jersey. you're starting from a pretty serious deficit. But go ahead. If you've got something, anything that might convince somebody. Let me see. Probably a lost cause, but I whatever. Don't know. Um, well, since college, where I ran cross-country, um, I've been running like three or four times a week. So probably over my lifetime, I've probably run um, 50, 5K, 10Ks. Yeah, okay, well, that's, that's impressive, but I don't, I don't want to make it do this. Like, college was a long time ago. You know what I'm saying? I don't, I don't want to make a big deal about that. I don't rub it in, but whatever. And I'm wearing a jersey today. Like, I'm wearing a jersey right now. So that, anything else, anything else? Because right see. now, they're clearly with me, and I, you're losing pretty bad right okay. now. That's clear. Well, yeah. for the past three and a half months, I've been running anywhere from 30 to 40 to 50 miles a week. <laughs> 50 miles a week. I have not run that far in my whole life, but again, I am wearing I am wearing a jersey. I am wearing a jersey, so I still think you're pretty much losing badly. I'll give you one more shot, but really, then we've got to move on with the sermon. Any other thing that might be persuasive? Well, 13 days ago, I did run the Boston Marathon and complete it. All right, that's pretty impressive. All right, okay. All right, okay. So, all right, again, I will say, with that last one, I feel like you at least made it interesting. But again, remember, one of us is wearing a jersey, one of us isn't. Okay, so big round of applause if you know what is obviously true, that I am the runner. Okay, if you think Kay Greer is the runner, give her a round of applause. You people are, you're, y'all are worthless. Y'all are worthless. Thank you, Kay. That was great. Wonderful. All right, don't break your leg going down the stairs, then I might actually be able to beat you in a race. Uh, but only under those circumstances. All right, okay, so why is that game so easy? Why is that game so easy? It's because we know wearing a jersey doesn't make you a runner. You can join a a running group on Facebook, and that also does not make you a runner. In fact, interestingly enough, being a runner is super easy. You just have to run. 
Like you can like, I, I was driving on the way here to church. I drove past somebody and I knew just from looking at them that they were a runner. I just took just one look at them. I knew they were a runner. How did I know that? Because they were running. Like that's it. That's all it took. It didn't, I didn't have to notice their shoes or their clothes. They didn't have to prove it to me. They just were, they were running. And, and, and this is what Jesus invites us to. Jesus is inviting us to put on jersey or to join a club. He's inviting us to run. Jesus never restores relationship without restoring responsibility. He never restores our identity without restoring our purpose. These two are always linked. I do want to briefly mention the opposite temptation because that is a real temptation as well. Uh, some of us, we succumb to the temptation we've been talking about. Of we kind of, we want the identity of a Christ follower without the mission of a Christ follower. But some of us do it the other way. Some of us seek the service of Christ without the submission to Christ. In fact, sometimes we come to love the mission more than we love the master who gave it to us. Maybe Jesus has called you to serve the poor, or Jesus has called you to care for the foreigner, or called you to moral righteousness, or called you to lead in the church. That's awesome, but you need to be careful. You can come to love your service more than you love the one you serve. Okay? Be more attached to your role and your responsibility then you are attached to the one who gave it to you. And if that happens, of course, you're no longer serving Jesus, you're just serving yourself, serving your own glory, your own pride, serving your own righteousness. This is why Paul teaches us that no one can accomplish their own righteousness through their work. He says, on the contrary, we are saved by grace through faith. It is not due to our works. So nobody can boast about their works. He says, in fact, you are God's workmanship. And just as soon as he's explained that, he then says, created for good works, which God prepared for you to do. Do you see how the dual restoration is there? By grace, through, through faith, you are restored into relationship with God. And part of that restoration is a restoration into the mission God has for you. There is no picture anywhere in Scripture of someone being restored into relationship with God without also being restored into mission on God's behalf. Always and always, these two are linked. So resist the temptation to turn Christianity into cult, to a club for your restored identity comes with a restored purpose. And resist the temptation to become an activist more committed to your work than you are to the king who gave you that work. The simple truth is this. Jesus has good news for you today. Jesus has good news for you today. You have denied Christ with your words, with your actions. You've denied him maybe a lot. Maybe last night, maybe this morning, you have denied Christ. But Christ has not denied 
you. He is faithful to those he loves and he loves you. And he has come to you to restore you. And the invitation of Christ, the restoring invitation of Christ is for all of us. Come, be restored to my love, he says. And come and be restored to my mission. Come and be restored to your place in this family. And come and be restored to your purpose in this kingdom. Jesus never offers to restore one without the other. But to everyone who has denied him. And that's everyone. Jesus always offers the full and complete restoration of our identity and our purpose in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Gracious God, we want to be restored. We will not settle to be restored in half measure, restored to membership in some community without being restored to the mission of your people. Restored to some status in your favor without being restored to the service of your Father. This is our prayer, Lord God. Let those of us who have denied you know that you have not denied us. And let us accept your restoring love restored to your family restored to your mission. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.